Welcome, everyone, to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I'm your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you information about the five areas of child development, and by that we mean physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, so parents can empower their children to thrive. Well, today we have a Brains in Toyland segment, and it regards screen time and the use of various media with children um, in early childhood. And our guest is Candace Grover, who is the Director of Literacy and Spanish Development at Ready Rosie. And Ready Rosie is an organization that provides really fun, family-friendly resources to parents to help prepare children for school, really getting them um, working on those uh, school readiness skills. And Candace has a master's in education and has worked with dual language learners since 1999 as a bilingual teacher and district facilitator. And she's now a mom and a writer and the content director for Ready Rosie. And her mission is to really understand research and apply it in practical and sim- in simple ways to help parents and teachers um, be successful. So welcome, Candace. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to, great to visit with you today. <laughs> great. So um, we were talking about, as I said, screen time and digital media. And recently the Academy, the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, adapted their recommendations for screen time um, and the use of media with children between the ages of birth and, and eight years of age. So would you talk to us a little bit about your perspective as both an educator and a parent about this and um, maybe start off by talking about, about why these recommendations were changed? Sure. So I I love how the AAP or the American Association of Pediatrics, they stated In a world where screen time is becoming simply time, our policies must evolve or become obsolete. And I don't want to say that they just gave up, but um, I think the message about limited screen time has been asserted for a long time. And we see it in the news and we see it on articles on Facebook and Twitter. And you may, parents can hear it from their pediatrician or from the teacher that if you go to a restaurant, a grocery store, a doctor's office waiting room, and I guarantee you will see a child um, between the ages of zero and eight engaged in one screen, and their caregiver, a parent, is on a different one. Um, and so, and I have to confess that I've been that parent, and sometimes I still am. Um, that we, I still find myself in situation myself in a situation where. In one of those one of those examples, and um, you know, I got my first smartphone. I I read recently iPhones came out in 2007, and my my oldest daughter was born in 2008, and I got my first smartphone when she was two months old. And so I've really never known what it is like to parent without having access, immediate access to some sort of a screen close at hand. And so I think we're really in a different age of parenting that um, we're just beginning to realize, okay, what is this and what, what is it, um, what are the implications? And um, I know you've talked about this before as well. We really don't know um, what the long-term implications are yet. And so we're still, um, we're still considering it. We're still in the American Association of Pediatrics is beginning to evolve as they consider what their recommendations are. Um, before before I came a, became a parent, though, I was in education for 10 years, and I come from a family of several generations of educators. So um, 
already established in my understanding of what a normal, or I guess what, what was normal to me in a family culture was the idea that children are people and that you need to engage them, that you talk with them, you train them, you ask for their thoughts. But um, by no means did I, when I entered parenthood, by no means did I know it all or do I now know it all, um, but I, I had this, I had some resources um, from my own background and from my training as an educator, and I knew something about the developmental knowledge of children. And so um, also my husband is an educator. He was a high school teacher for a number of years, and then he is, he's been a middle school and a high school administrator. And so we, um, I'm sure you can imagine, we have lots of interesting dinnertime conversations <laughs> about, um, with this, about children. And, you know, I, I know children from the early years, and he sees children at the later years. And, and we talk about, you know, our own children and, and just kind of what, what sorts of trajectories children are put upon based on the circumstances around them and the role that family plays. It's not the only, um, the only factor um, affecting children, but we think it's an important one. So, right. Um, so I know what, so I, I know what, go was, ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was no, you say, I know it is, I know it is normal in my own background of, as an educator, having a background of being a member of a family of educators and, um, that's provided me some resources to work from, but I know that is not available to everyone. And I have a lot of conversations with my own friends and with the families of the parents of my students um, where they've indicated to me they hear these recommendations from experts, and yet they ask, okay, where do I go from there? Like, I see that that's what I'm supposed to be doing, but practically in my real life, that's just not what happens. Right. And so I, I'm guessing that's part of the reason why the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics has changed the recommendations. And um, they're, uh, they're just calling it, instead of just screen time, we're just thinking of it as time. And yes. are they, and maybe we can talk about some of the specifics about what they've recommended. Um, there's something they mentioned about avoiding displacements and engaging and using digital media together. So maybe you could talk to us about what those mean and why they're important. Okay. So, um, and I don't have the exact recommendations from previous years, but I know back in 2011 and I think again in 2013, there were different recommendations released, um, typically um, regarding time and often saying no screen time, for children under the age of two um, or, you know, a maximum of a certain number of minutes or a certain number of hours for children above the age of two. And in these new recommendations, there, is, there are no mention um, or there is no mention of time, but instead the emphasis is placed on two other things, um, the content and the context. And so the content meaning what are kids looking at or what are they interacting with and the context being what is the situation and why are they using media in this, in this particular situation? So um, they give a number of recommendations, but 
the two that really stood out to me as a parent and as an educator, um, the first one is avoiding displacement. Um, they specifically say caregivers should consider what media is displacing and strive to maintain protected time for conversation, play, and creativity. And they also say it should be a tool, like media should be a tool rather than a babysitter, a reward, or punishment. Parents must connect with their children offline as well. So um, when I think of displacement, my mental picture is like a bucket of water that you throw rocks in. You know, that when you throw something into that water, the water is going to spl- into the bucket, the water is going to splash out. Like there can only be a certain amount of, <laughs> um, it can only contain a certain amount of, of capacity or the volume. And so when something else is put in, something else leaves. And that's when dis- displacement um, is really just when something is moved or put out of its usual proper place or order. Um, and honestly, this may sound harsh, but it's one of those things I've thought of in my own life as well. I think displacement most naturally happens when parents don't feel inspired or don't feel equipped to parent for whatever reason. Um, And it's just we're trying to have a quiet dinner in a restaurant or we're tired from work and we just need to get in and get out of the grocery store or we've been in the car for a long time and it's, it's just easier to hand over a screen and say, here, so that we can kind of check out for a little bit or focus on something else. Um, and so, you know, I know life happens. And, um, and especially, I mean, we are, both of us, my husband and I, we both work and we have children and we've got lots going on. We take care of family. And, um, but so occasionally using media as a substitute is not going to be disastrous. But we have to remember that children, like even at the youngest, even the youngest ones, um, that they are pattern seekers, um, and they will begin setting their expectations based on the patterns that they experience. And we can't um, look at them like they're crazy if we've handed over the phone several times at a restaurant or at the grocery store, and then one day we're there at the grocery store and we decide, no, today we're going to just walk around and I'm going to talk to them, and they get really upset because they're like, what? This is the time when you hand me your phone and I get to play a game because they've, we've set that expectation for them. They've been looking for the patterns in our own behavior and then that has set an expectation for them. So we just need to have a big picture mindset of those patterns that we're setting. And, um, and when we think about displacement, it helps to remember, you know, there are only 24 hours in the day. So allowing something new in is going to mean something else has to go. Um, and, you know, there was a, a recently, earlier this month, actually, there was a book released called Tap, Click, Read by Lisa Guernsey and Michael Levine. And um, they shared a recent report that on a typical day, children ages three to five spend an average of four hours with communications technology. And so if you think four hours in a 24-hour day, not including their sleep time, that's a lot of displacement, and we need to think what could have been happening when those four hours left um, and they were dedicated to technology. So um, can I give some examples of displacement? I'm just yeah, that sure, sure. And it, and it sounds, you know, that what I'm hearing is that avoiding displacement is really all about a balance and making sure yes. that all the other important activities are being addressed and especially multisensory 
activities where they're moving and feeling and feeling their body move through space um, and exploring their world and making decisions and thinking critically. That all happens when you're active. And you can't always do that so well when you're um, with the digital um, apparatus. Yes, like all those five domains yeah. that you talked about at the beginning. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah, exactly. all of those can be. Yeah. I mean, we can touch on all of those, and um, with they can all be um, the opportunity for us to engage as a parent in all of the aspects that affect those five domains. They can be affected right. if our child is spending, especially isolated time, um, right. or independ- too much independent time with the screen. So, a couple of examples. Um, mm-hmm. Like an ebook or an interactive book, like a, there are a lot of book apps on um, on tablets or on phones or even just on websites. So um, I'm a my specialty is in literacy, and um, so just from that perspective, your child handing your child an interactive book instead of reading the book with him, and um, well, is not going to instill the needed book handling like that that they would get with a print book. Or the, nor the early reading behaviors that they experience as they begin to engage with a print book. And we'll talk in a minute about, like, the good potential of e-books. I'm not going to say they're all bad. They have some, there are ways we can use them. But we can't think of them as a, as a substitute for the bedtime story or for reading with your child in your lap. And it really it can't even replace the benefits that your child gains just from browsing through books that he can't officially read yet on his own time. And um, I have a five-year-old daughter, and she is just now learning to read words and books. Um, but she's had books in her bed. I'm sorry, she's had books in her bed and in the car since she was an infant. We board books, and then she moved on to regular books and library books. And she has learned to read the pictures and books and kind of make up the story as she goes. And from the perspective of an elementary reading teacher, that ability is so important for long-term literacy because it touches on so many of the standards in the early grades, like predicting, inferring, visualizing, making connections. So when I go in to read with her at night, she might pick out a book that she's already been reading the pictures and she'll listen to the words and she'll confirm all the things that she'd already been thinking. And she'll tell me, Oh, I know what's going to happen to George if we're reading a curious George book or something like that. And I'm like, how do you know? She's like, Oh, I've already looked at the pictures. So all of that thinking that happens with just a print book that wouldn't necessarily happen with an ebook because there are a lot of great things in ebooks, but they can also be very distracting. Um, most most interactive ebooks have a lot of animations or videos, different pop-ups. And so I've watched my same child, same five-year-old, I've watched her um, use ebooks over the last few years. And I just hand her one. Um, she, her behavior is completely different from that of what it looks like with a, with a print book. She spends all of her time not looking at the pictures, not making meaning, but just tapping, like, oh, does this do something? And she'll tap a little object and see what it does and laugh, and then she'll move on. And so she has fun, and she is engaged with it, but it's not literacy. It's not an engagement that leads to long-term literacy behaviors. So it's entertaining, um, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's not something that's going to affect, impact that. So because it's not focused on meaning-making, meaning, meaning it's more just on cause and effect. So that's one example. Um, another example, like you mentioned, the, the more 
the um, fine motor, the developmental, working with teachers, I my experience is in first through third grade. But in the past few years, I've been working a lot with preschool teachers. And um, I was a part of a conversation a little while ago that um, one of them made and said, you know, this is the very beginning of the school year. And she said, I noticed the kids this year, they're coming in. I have Play-Doh on the table. I have crayons on the table. And they don't know how to hold a crayon. And they don't know how to play with Play-Doh. And um, she said, you know, this is the first year in all her years of teaching. She's been teaching like 30 years. And she said, what has happened? And then another teacher started talking. And she said, it's because they can swipe and they can tap but they can't hold a crayon because it's a completely different motion and their muscles have not been developed to be prepared for that. And, um, and we even thought about like in restaurants, historically, traditionally, what, what is offered to children at restaurants with their kids' menus are crayons and paper menus or something like that. But now, and, and I think, it, I mean, I know a lot of the restaurants we go to, you still can receive that, but um often you'll see kids not using those crayons because crayons fall off and they make noise and whatever, they make a mess. And you'll see kids on phones instead. And even some restaurants offer tablets to kids to play with. So again, it's not that the tablets are in, in themselves are bad, but it's that displacement of because kids are spending so much time with them, then they're missing out on the time of just the coloring and playing with Play-Doh and experiencing that sensory play. Um, just, a few other examples of displacement I'm not going to go into detail about, but if you Google um, displacement and screen time, you will see a lot of information about just the lack of physical activity, the reduction in physical activity, and the reduction in sleep, especially as children get older. Um, and those are not my area of expertise, but um, I mean, just as an adult, I know that screen time affects both of those areas for me. And so I think there's something to be to be aware of. So. That's that's just kind of a, a summary of what displacement can look like. Right. Right. And again, as I had said earlier, it sounds like it's really about a balance and making sure you get all those other important aspects of life in because um, screens and digital media are a part of everyday life. We really can't avoid them. They're a mixed blessing. And so let's um, capitalize on what's great about them and, and use them in moderation and and um, another way we could possibly do that, you had mentioned about, uh, or we had talked a little bit about engaging with this together with your child. Did you want to talk about that a little? Yes. Yeah, so if it sounds like a downer so far, <laughs> if, I, if I sound <laughs> well, I think everyone knows. I, I think yeah, the the mantra of no screen time. Uh, you know, we all want to say it, and ideally, yes, we'd we'd love to have no screen time so children can be more dynamic and have more dynamic multi-sensory experiences, but it's just not a reality. And so since it is a reality, how can we do it in the most, um, in the healthiest way? And this yeah, is one so, of the ways by engaging together. Right. And and as part of my work, I get to attend a lot of conferences and just be around people that are um, really experts and researchers in the field of technology and early childhood and and um, all of those people, if you listen to what they're saying, they are not advocating that you rid your house of screens. Um, I know my own family would re- revolt, so I can't, I can't do that. But what, what they are holding up and what they are really looking into 
um, in re with research and seeing what are the effects is the idea of joint media engagement. And um, they like to throw around the um, JME as that term because um, when you think like what are some of the most important things, it's hard to boil down in, in a short list, but what are some of the most important things children are learning between the ages of zero to eight? They need to learn how to bond closely with adults in their lives. They, want, they need to learn how to communicate wants and needs. They need to learn how to ask questions and make connections. And so if those are the things children are, are from children from all time have been learning, needing to learn at that age, um, what would it look like for them to continue learning those things but with the presence of screens in their lives? And um, the Joan Dance Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop is kind of a research think tank. They have defined joint media engagement as the variety of spontaneous, and designed experiences of people using media together. And um, so it can happen anywhere, anytime, when there are multiple people interacting together with media. So it can include viewing, playing, searching, reading, contributing, creating, with either digital or traditional media, meaning like television. Um, so it, it, it's the idea that it's a social engagement. It's a social activity instead of an isolating activity of just a child with a screen without ever having follow-up or engagement by another person. So I'm going to give a few examples kind of along the spectrum. Um, one is my, an example from probably nine, ten years ago of my nephew. Um, he was born a couple years before my oldest daughter was born. And when he was about 18 months old, he loved to watch a DVD that would, it would just like play songs, really soft songs, and there would be little clips of like an animal running across the screen or a child playing with a balloon. So it was just, I don't remember the name of the video, but it was, it was a whole series. And um, he was, um, he just loved those videos. And my in-laws stayed with us for a few weeks while they were moving. And I remember noticing how my nephew always wanted to watch this video after waking up in the morning or after nap. And, um, my inclination would have been one of two things, to either let him sit there by himself and watch it while I could get something else done, or to just say, oh, wait, no, we're not supposed to do screens, you know, under the age of two. I think I would have been one extreme or the other. But I would watch um, his, one of his parents each time would come in and sit with him, and they would snuggle, and they'd point to this, those different scenes, and they would name what they saw, and they would just make a comment about it. They would elaborate a little bit. And um, so it's similar to what we call dialogic reading, but it was more like dialogic viewing. Um, mm -hmm. And every once in a while he would initiate, he'd see something and he'd say something and they would interact. And um, so I just saw that happen over a course of weeks, always the same video. He was really um, a fan of this one particular video. So a few months later, we were on a road trip together to see family and um, my sister-in-law were in the back seat. He was in his car seat, and they had a new DVD, but the same format. And my sister-in-law were just talking over his car seat, and he was watching the show, and his vocabulary had grown over that, that period of time. And so he would just make comments about what he saw. He would say, like, zebra, ball, you know, he just kind of naming one word thing, balloon. And then all of a sudden, there was an anteater on the screen, and he just was like, what's that? <laughs> and um. And we, my sister-in-law was like, well, that is an anteater. And she just said something about it. And, um, and I just thought, you know, I remember being struck at the time, like, that's just so interesting that he now knows what he knows, and he also knows what he doesn't know. 
and he's not even two years old. <laughs> but but there's this awareness of, again, the desire to make meaning of his environment and what the potential of JME or joint media engagement in this situation is that it builds vocabulary. But as a reading teacher, just the idea of making meaning that is so important to make for children to be able to make sense of their world, that that's been modeled to him in conversations with his parents. And so, and he also knows what to do when his comprehension breaks down. He knows he can say, what's that? And he can find out and then he can add that to his schema and he can move on. Um, so that's just like as a very early, early um, at a young age where his parents were a part of his TV viewing, or that's what in the older days we used to call co-viewing. Um, different example further along the spectrum um, would be my own children. Um, my girls have been fans of Wild Crafts, a PBS kids show for the past few years, and uh, I think they've probably seen every episode I don't know, 10 times. Um, and I have probably only seen two episodes. I'm not, I do not co-view with them. And um, for us, Wild Kratz has been one of those shows that allowed me to get a shower. <laughs> it's just early in the morning. Um, and it just, that was kind of our, our limited screen time, but that was when it made most sense for our family. Um, and so um, it was, seemed like a valid use of displacement in that situation. Um, but, there was there can still be joint media engagement because even though I don't watch it with my girls, we continue to have social interaction outside of the actual viewing of the video. And so I know all of the characters in Wildcrafts. And on an almost daily basis, I can hear one of my girls make a comment when we're outside about like an observation of an animal or if we've ever been to the zoo or if we're reading a book and it talks about animals. And so that is a jumping off point for us just to talk about comparing and contrasting what we've seen in Wildcrats with what we're seeing in the present. And so that's still joint media engagement because we're continuing to have that conversation. So I don't know if that makes sense, the difference between co-viewing but also continuing to have social interactions just like, other, just like adults do at the water cooler, <laughs> the virtual water cooler or on Facebook or Twitter when we have social interactions about a show that we're all watching at the same time. Yeah, that's true. It does make sense, I think. And, and, and something you said that I think is also important is that you have to find out what works for your family. And so yes. you can't be you, – you need to take a shower. Parents need a few minutes of, of quiet time so they can catch their breaths and provide a healthy, harmonious environment for their children. So for you, you don't watch the show with them, but you can follow up and make it dynamic um, in a delayed fashion and just a little bit later. And I think – um, it, that's working for your family, and that, to me, that sounds great. And for us, great. I mean, there is a limit. There is a limit to what they can watch <laughs> during during my shower time. In the sense of, um, it's not like a free for all. You can watch anything on this, you know. But but we've mm-hmm. identified this particular show as a valid use. So right. um, just a few other short examples, like um, let's say a parent is at the doctor's office and. They've been waiting for the doctor, and they're still in the waiting room, and it's become a very long wait. And let's say the parent has already read a book that was there together, a children's book maybe, and um, maybe maybe you're you're sitting with a toddler or a three-year-old, um, and you flip through a magazine, you've talked about the pictures and what does the child see, and maybe you played some guessing games. You're like, I'm thinking of an animal. He has four legs. He has stripes. 
you played that for a little bit and still the doctor has not called you back. And so maybe at that point you think, okay, I'm out of game. We've been here 45 minutes and you decide to pull your phone out. Um, So there are a couple of options there. And I think this is where the rubber really meets the road from the, the academy, the AAP's recommendations and just the practical life of parents. And this is where we have to make choices and we take what we know and we make the better choice whenever possible. And so one option is to give your child, if you have a tablet or something, you give your child that and you have your phone and you get on Facebook or you do whatever it is that you want to do. And that's, that's one possibility. But joint media engagement would say the better choice would be for the child to stay in your lap or stay right next to you and you to engage in something together. So maybe you're going to play an app together. Um, you know, like we have some favorites in our family. We love the Dr. Panda or Tokoboka. We love all the, do- the Duck Duck Moose apps. Um, Where's My Water? It's a great problem-solving game that, by Disney. But in, instead of pulling out separate media for each of us, we take it, we play together, we talk about it, we interact. Oh, my goodness, what do you think? And, and sometimes you just watch your child. You're not, necess- you're not taking over, but you're still watching your child and you're really marveling at their thinking and their problem solving. And, and, um, and it's really a, a great opportunity for you to learn how your particular child works and how they think because that's going to help you. That's going to be a resource for you as they get older, as they get in school. And you can say, well, I know he has these strengths or, um, and he may have these particular challenges, but I know he's really strong in this particular area. And um, maybe you get out that ebook, that interactive book, and um, before you let your child tap on all those things, you page through it together and you read it. And then maybe you go back and before you let the child tap, you say, what do you think will happen if you tap there? Like, what do you think it's going to do? So you do some predicting and talking. Um, maybe you search for something on YouTube together. Maybe you know your child's really interested in something. And so you show them just that that skill of searching and finding a whole bunch of results and then making good choices between those results. So there's a lot of, um, I think this is a, an area where we can say it's not all or nothing. Um, it's it's because we, we do think of our children, I mean, who knows what technology is going to look like in eight more years. <laughs> My husband and I joke that we'll all be beaming around like on Star Trek or something, but I mean, we don't know. So it's, but it can be we can begin this conversation of um we can begin setting the precedent of technology as something we do together that brings us together instead of separates us. So no matter where it goes in the next few years, that is gonna be our normal. And um and we can begin to have those conversations about our own thinking as our own metacognition as we interact with technology so that our children can begin applying those same thoughts to their own, you know, and begin having those same thoughts as they grow older and do eventually become more independent. So I think the last aspect of of joint meeting engagement is the aspect of curation, just really being aware of what our children are looking at, that content, um, and then deciding what is most appropriate for them at their particular age and stage. Um, my mother, when I was a child of the late 70s and early 80s, um, when I would have a babysitter, my mom would take 
you know, the time, the only screen was the television, the one television. <laughs> and But my mom would take the TV guide from the newspaper, and she would highlight a few select shows that my babysitter was allowed to let me watch. And that was what curation looked like in the 70s and 80s. And for us, it's a little more complex, but we need to think, you know, how can we select what will be a best fit for my children? And, and it's, we have to, I mean, it is where we need to be informed as a parent. Um, I know I read something interesting the other day from the Guernsey and Levine book that they, um, they've noticed there's a very small percentage like, of correlation between the apps that are recommended by experts as quality and the apps that appear as the most popular in the app store. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, and you can't necessarily uh, just... Candace, can you... What, what was that book again that you mentioned? That the, book you, is called Tap, uh, the book is called Tap, Click, Read, and it's by Lisa Guernsey and Michael Levine. It was just released earlier this year. I'm sorry, earlier this month. And okay. um, it's a great book about um, just the current landscape of technology and media. But, um, yeah, that percentage, just 17% of, of this, I think, I I'm, I'm, don't have the exact number, over 100 apps, I believe, um, that they were looking at. These were the ones that were reviewed and deemed as high quality by experts in education. And then they compared those with the ones that were listed as the most popular educational apps, and there was only a correlation of 17% of the ones that were high quality were included in the most popular in the app store. So Okay, so that's parents, I think that's an important takeaway for parents that just because something is popular doesn't mean that it's a great app and you're talking about curation, so that's they're really editing and selecting what their children will be exposed to in terms of media. So um I I really like uh, that statistic and I wanted to highlight it. <laughs> so yes. okay. And so, um, I mean, and there's Go, and and where can they – so this sounds like it could be a great book, this Tap, Click, Read, and I actually just went to their Facebook page. And um, are there other places where parents can find information about um, how to engage in media well and, and what are the, the good um, eggs, so to speak? Yes. Uh, my favorite is Common Sense Media. Um, they have a Facebook page. They have um, commonsensemedia.org is their webpage, and you can sign up for their email, and they will send emails out. But you can also just go. They have an app. You can go and look at movies and apps and video games, and they just give parent ratings, but they've also been rated and reviewed by educational experts, and they'll just tell you all the different quality, even down to, like, consumerism, like how much consumerism is pushed in this particular app. So um, another one I'm not as familiar with, I know I've seen recommended, is parentschoice.org. And if you're if you really want to geek out, like I do <laughs> as an educator, just more broader, um, if you just want to stay current as uh, what about this conversation, um, that um, Lisa Guernsey, Michael, is from New America, which is a think tank, an education think tank. She's a journalist. And there, and she wrote a book. I don't have the title right now, but I believe it was called Screen Time several years ago. And it's just, she's a mother as well, and it's one of her passions. So she's definitely someone to follow. Um, Michael Levine is with um, the Sesame Workshop, 
and the Joan Gantz Cooney Center. So um, he, the Joan Gantz Cooney Center is like a research um, organization looking at early childhood and media. And then the Fred Rogers Center, as in Fred Rogers, <laughs> Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, um, they of course. Did, yes, yes. So, I mean, they really were the initiators of early childhood and media. And um, they host a conference every other year for everyone involved in media for, early, for young children. And um, they really are considered just the ones that hold the standard for everyone to keep reminding everyone what it's all about. But um, what parents need to know is um, the people who develop the most popular apps aren't necessarily coming to that conference. Um, so if you, uh, in, the, um, in the Levine and Guernsey book, they talk about many of those apps that are considered popular by parents, popular in the app store, they are very opaque when it comes to saying who is behind the development of the app. And it's really hard to find out whether there are any educators involved or was it just, you know, media developers, which they definitely have their role, but we also want contributions um, from people that know the development of children and what is needed. So um, the Common Sense Media is a great place to start. And then also yeah. just seek advice from other parents. I mean, I, I found out about some apps by just, asking people on Facebook, but knowing, I mean, when they responded, knowing some of the parents that I really admired their parenting and their children and, and taking into account some of the ones that they recommended, um, asking your child's teacher, asking at your library. Um, the librarians are really moving to being not just book-focused, but overall media, um, knowledgeable about media in general. And so ask at your local library, too. But definitely ask and look around as you're looking to curate. Right, and and I follow Common Sense Media uh, on my Facebook feed for uh, the show Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I really enjoyed the posts that they put. I think they have some some interesting things and some practical things and smart things from what I've seen. Yes. Yeah. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how technology plays a role. I guess in education, there's a lot of discussion by educators and policymakers about issues of um, reading with children and word gaps and um, et cetera. But can you talk to us a little bit about uh, those issues? Sure. So in the last, in my experience as a teacher has been with dual language learners, so um, native Spanish-speaking children, many of them migrants or immigrants, and um, Many of them coming in in our country when they first get here, living at a, a level a lower socioeconomic level, and um, and so when I was teaching or originally in the classroom, I never got an email from a parent. I never received a text message from a parent. Now that was in the earlier 2000s, so it was not as common at that time either. But um, that when I think traditionally when we think of the idea of access, um, we think meaning, we think of access to technology, like. Does a child have a way to get to Internet? Um, but the primary concern over access has really shifted in the last couple of years. And, um, again, in Tap, Click, Read, there is a statistic sharing a 2013 report from Common Sense Media indicating that 75% of children ages 8 and younger live in homes with mobile technology, 75%. Um, and, at, and that 
number is up from 52% in 2011. And that 75% number is from 2013. So um, I don't think we can assume that the trajectory continued to 2015 and that it would jump um, 20% each time um, every two years. But we can definitely, um, I think, make the conclusion that the number of those families without access to Internet or mobile technology is really diminishing, um, and often thanks to the government and public entities stepping forward and making that access more available. So free Wi-Fi in a community in a particular area or computers and iPads at libraries that can be checked out from schools, that type of thing. So mm-hmm. the concern now is shifting. So it's not just access to the, the, um, the, the, um, the device, but it is the content and the context that we've already been discussing today. So um, I want to refer really quickly just from an educator perspective to um, a concept called the word gap, um, which I know, um, I believe you've already discussed previously on your show, but um, there's a, a famous study um, that's often quoted, especially recently, um, called the Hart and Risley study. It was done by the researchers Betty Hart and Todd Risley in 1995, and they found that some children, I believe there are 41 families, some children heard 30 million fewer words by their fourth birthday than others, 30 million. <laughs> um, and the children who heard more words were better prepared when they entered school, and those same kids, when they followed them through third grade, had bigger vocabularies, were stronger readers, and got higher test scores. So the bottom line was the kids who started out ahead stayed ahead, and the kids who started out behind stayed behind. And so based on that study and then many others that have followed, the phrase word gap has been coined and is really a push um, nationally among early childhood educators and organizations that are concerned. So um, that discrepancy of 30 million words is really what's driving the research and initiatives too small to fail and a number of organizations out there like that. But when we apply that Hart and Risley study for today, Um, I think we have to factor in technology. And we can imagine that this gap is only going to widen if some families are engaging their children in off-screen conversations that they're playing, they're creating, as well as joint media engagement, while other families, that same device, are unconsciously allowing technology to displace and to isolate their children. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and it's it's a concern um, because it takes extra effort to make that engagement dynamic and talk with your child. Uh, Fitting that in can be hard, and that could affect the number of words they're hearing, the number of words they're using, and that will affect how they perform through school and across the lifespan, really. So it's it's a great question and something to really think about. So... The company that I work for um, is Ready Rosie and Bringing Up. We, I work for, and um, I work alongside a team of educators. And our umbrella um, company is called Pascal Learning. And the, the tools that we um, cre- have created and produced, one is called Ready Rosie. And you spoke earlier this year with our co-founder Emily Roden. And um, and the other is called Bringing Up. It's a new um, resource that was just made available um, earlier this school year. Um, So Ready Rosie is a resource for families with children ages 0 to 5, and Bringing Up is for families with children in grades kindergarten through third grade. 
And so we provide free subscriptions to families that are paid for by their schools or communities. And so, again, still sticking along with those American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations, we our two goals are really targeting that problem of displacement and using the power of joint media engagement. So, um, like I said earlier, many people did not grow up with a vision of what it's like to have conversations around the dinner table or in the car. Um, and even if you did, um, many parents today are really unfamiliar with what the current expectations are from schools and how those expectations may have changed since the parent's childhood. And so um, at Ready, Rosie, and Bringing Up, we state that we aim to equip and inspire parents and caregivers to create homes and environments rich with language and learning. And, and so we do this by delivering to parents short two-minute videos. So we use that medium. And our videos are of real families modeling games and conversations in the grocery store, at the restaurant, the waiting room, in the car, and while mom's cooking dinner, just any type of situation that real parents find themselves. And we deliver those videos in English and in Spanish, and we use media to deliver it. So we um, deliver via text messaging. We deliver via daily emails. Um, and now we have a new app. So um, your listeners are welcome to download our free app. It's in iTunes and Google Play. And um, it is searchable by age. So they can um, narrow down the videos to videos for children ages 0 to 8 months or 8 to 18 months, You know, um, 3 and 4-year-olds, that type of thing. They can also... Um, search by skill or by context. So I'm at the playground or I'm in the grocery store. What could I do here? Um, and just this month, early, earlier this month, we recently launched a new way to um, just inspire parents right where they are at the hardest moments. So the moments that we tend to look, we tend to displace. Um, we've created posters that anyone can place at a laundromat, at a grocery store, or at a restaurant, and they include a phone number and a word. And if a parent is just at a loss for what to do with his or her child, he or she can text us, and within one minute, they'll receive back a free video to watch and play with his or her child. So um, your listeners can even try it if they want. Um, if they texted um, the word food or in Spanish the word comida, um, the number, it's not a catchy number, but it's, it's the number we have right now. And um, the number is 330-520-2637, And um, if they text that number and they text the word food or comida, they will receive back a video in English or in Spanish of something to do while at the grocery store, um, I believe. I think they went <laughs> I believe so that, that, is that sounds about one. right, given it's food or or, or comida. Well, I'm, well um, I'm, so my question is, it's either at the grocery store or at the restaurant. I can't remember which one, right? <laughs> one for the grocery store and one for the restaurant. And, and so. if it's helpful to know, I have Ready Rosie's link on the show uh, page for today's Great. episode. So that right. is right there. So um, families can go there and click in there, and it will bring you to Ready Rosie. I'm guessing that information is also on your website. Uh, so I encourage parents to go there if you're interested to find out more about um, the services that um, Ready Rosie provides. Yeah, so I mean that's just our goal is that we can really reach that parent that's struggling, that wants to do more, mm -hmm. but maybe doesn't know 
what to do. Yeah, and so um, we talked about you talking a little bit about the power of joint media <laughs> and engaging together. So um, did you have some comments you wanted to say there? Yes, I just, I mean, we, we have seen that parents tend to watch our videos, our two-minute videos, even though they're really directed to equip the parent. Parents, families tend to watch our videos together. So either they watch it together at home or sometimes the child might watch the video at school, like the parent shows or the teacher shows it right before dismissal. And the parent gets it when they're, you know, on their phone at work or earlier in the day at home. But when the child gets home, he's likely to prompt the parent to engage him, engage with him because he now has that vision of what this this face-to-face engagement can look like, this off-screen engagement can look like. And I really think as parents, we sometimes need that accountability. Our children are the ones that have the biggest power to change our own behaviors. Um, and I've seen that over and over again in my own parenting. Um, just and one quick example, there it was a little over a year ago, we were on a road trip seeing family and we were driving 15 hours in one day. And um, I think we've been on the road eight or 10 hours and we stopped at a restaurant in the middle of nowhere. And um, we went in, we ordered our food and then they came out and told us they had run out of chicken. I think it was. <laughs> and um, so we were going to, they said it'll be about 45 minutes and there was no other place to go to eat. And so I just remember thinking, and just out of pity for my children and the fact that they had to wait more and out of pity for myself and my husband, I started to pull out my phone to say, here, let's just, this is time. This totally merits <laughs> and some screen yep. time. But um, my daughter was like, mom, there's sugar packets. Let's play a Ready Rosie game. And we had, she knew, I mean, we watched Ready Rosie videos. We have lots of videos in restaurants where we make patterns, where we measure, or we play syllable games with sugar packets. And so just that action of like, mom, let's do this instead of pull out your phone. And um, and so I was like, okay. And so we ended up playing for about 45 minutes and we had a great time. And when I look back at that time, I'm, I don't have any regrets. You know, I know that that was a worthwhile time off screen. We engaged as a family. They learned. Um, and so I think opportunities for um, that joint meeting engagement help our children um, really use that technology to promote more talk with us. And that is our ultimate goal. Right, right. So um, we're starting to come toward the end of our interview, and we always like to close the show by asking our guests to give us their five fantastic facts for family, which families, which is essentially your favorite advice to share. So um, what can you tell us um, in regard to your favorite advice for families on this topic, or just in general? Okay, well, I will say none of this is original. So, I mean, this is just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advice junkie of always asking others. But um, I would say, number one, just make talking and playing off screen the norm or just like the default for your family for the majority of your young child's day, um, including free time, their own free time, and also time when you're together. Um, because childhood is short. We all know that. Um, and there will come a time when having unrestricted access to technology like we do as an adult when that becomes a reality, but this is not that time. Um, I think number two, just consider your own screen use as a parent from the perspective of your children. Um, I work from home most of the time. I work remotely for my office, and I am on 
a laptop. And so, or, and so my children see me on a computer a lot. Um, and, but I need to differentiate my use of screens from their use of screens because when they use screens, it's primarily for the use of play. Um, and so I've, sometimes even on a phone, I mean, sometimes we use our phone to pay bills or to answer work emails or map directions or do something like that. And I think I don't know that our children really realize when they see us on our phone when we could have been act, interacting with them, the reasons that we're doing it. And so I think um, it's okay for us to sometimes narrate and say, hey, I'm going to pull out my phone right now and I'm going to look up something <laughs> or I'm, I need to, to do this this thing really quickly for work um, and just explain to them. So it's not like they think we're playing Candy Crush all the time <laughs> when we're on our phone. Um, and so we also do need to be careful when it is our time with them, our time to engage them, that those exceptions do not become the rule of us pulling out our phone. Um, I think number three, just allow when we allow screen time to happen at predictable times in our child's day, that that really can promote accountability and it can reduce arguments between us and our children. And um, like I said earlier, children are quick to discern patterns and establish precedence. Um, so consider what happens in a typical day. When does it make sense to allow for a little time on a computer or on a tablet? When could you both use some downtime for some joint media engagement um, to watch a show together or play an app together? But children also need to understand that not every day is going to go according to schedule. And in our home, um, which this has happened, but if you throw a fit um, because you do not get screen time, then that's definitely really a sign that you need more time with me, <laughs> not with a screen. And so throwing a fit about not getting to play on a tablet um, does not ultimately lead to me handing it over to you. Um, and number four, and just this is the idea of curation, just limit the choices and establish purposes for specific apps and websites. But that's okay for us to do as a parent. Um, and that's going to look differently for every family. Um, in our house, we allow them to, our girls to use specific learning game apps and websites on school days. And on, our, on the iPad that we have, we have a separate folder just for weekends and holidays. Um, and that folder is more for with games that are just for fun that don't really have explicit learning value. But just like we as adults have time that's just for fun, and then we have time that's for working or learning, as they get hold, older, I'm sure that we'll want to involve them more in the process of how we select those games and shows and websites. But for now, we provide a selection, and then they get to choose from that. Um, and I guess the last thing is just to be on the lookout for media mentors. I think um, look for friends or family members that have children the same age or slightly older than your own um, that you can ask for advice or um, look to emulate. And, um, you know, I also get good ideas just when sitting in a restaurant or walking through the grocery store. I'm always watching others, not to judge them or criticize them, but I'm looking for good mentors and um, people that are having great interactions with their children and, and just noticing, like, what are they talking about? Or if they are having joint media engagement, what are they looking at together? Um, and just how can what they're doing what would that look like and would it work for our family? I guess those are my top five. Great. No, those are good ones. <laughs> those are good ones. And so um, 
I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. I want to especially thank mom and educator Candace Grover from Ready Rosie thank for you. lending us her time and her expertise. And I want to remind everybody that I have the links to Ready Rosie on the station site. I also have the link to the American Academy of Pediatrics, if that's helpful for you all. And as always, we invite everyone to email us at the show with questions or comments or feedback. And you can do that by sending a message to info at kidsa-to-z.com. That's info at kidsa-to-z.com. And we really encourage you to follow us on Facebook. And, and that um, the page is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. We post our shows there. We post lots of other information. And, um, and that's about it. I'm Teresa Signorelli, your host. Thank you for tuning in. I hope everybody has a great day. <laughs>